0: Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, December 3rd, and this is episode 50. (gasps) We made it. We're over the hill. That's
1: 50 years old. Kick, stretch, kick. 50. Did you ever see that skit from SNL? No. Then that made no sense to you. But it was funny back in the 90s.
0: Well, who are you? That's impressive for an uh, an SNL skit from the 90s to be funny. There were a few of them. There were a few. (laughs) I'm Tony. Oh, okay. I'm Dennis. And what have you been doing, Dennis?
1: Oh, gosh. Nothing. Nothing good. Uh, I did go out to the monthly uh, pinball tournament at the 403 Club last night. They have a Guardians of the Galaxy now. so How was
0: it? I, I, I didn't get to go, obviously, because of... I'm on call, and we're having issues at work, so I couldn't go. But I saw the post on Facebook that they had it, and there might have been some under-the-breath swearing as I stared at my work computer and knew you were off having a chance to play it. I only got one whole game in on it.
1: I didn't get any tournament games on it. I did get one in, though before. I got there early enough because I, I saw that it was set up. So I was like, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to at least get a game on it. Uh, I liked it for... for I mean, when you look at it when you're playing it, you... Different people had different reactions. Uh, I didn't hear anyone who didn't really like it, but some people look at it and they feel very Metallica about it. I look at it and I get more of the Iron Man feel because of the War Machine kickback as the Rocket kickback and things like that. But it's fun to load up Groot. I like the orb shot and it's a Borg design, so it i don't think you can backhand those ramps i think you have to do those front hand shots just like you would on either metallica or iron man so it's got a pretty significant challenge amount my ball times were not iron man short but probably about metallica short which metallica was a pretty difficult game for me not quite as bad as iron man on time but but you know challenging so uh and very colorful and of course the sounds are fun uh so that was really neat And I also got to, in tournament actually, play Walking Dead. And the reason why I'm going to note that, we'll we'll hit it in the pinball segment, but there was actually a surprise code update to Walking Dead. And they were installing that just before the tournament started. Wow. So I got to do a little bit with that. Uh, Other than that, uh, not a whole lot going on. Uh, I thought I'd note a couple other little things in the intro, though. I've been kind of fingers crossed holding out hope that we were going to get a total nuclear annihilation on location. I hadn't heard anyone planning to do it, but I just kind of hoped that we would see it because yeah. it was such a fun white wood. And as we would noted, I'm I'm aware of one area collector who had indicated interest in acquiring one. Well, I did see in one of our area Facebook discussions, which actually was talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, Someone had mentioned that they really wanted to play TNA, or Total Nuclear Annihilation. And unfortunately, the the route operator I thought was the most likely to get it said that they couldn't couldn't afford to roll the dice on another spooky machine. And when someone else weighed in saying, but TNA would be a top earner, they responded that it can't earn when it's broken three out of seven days a week. (laughs) And so while I remember the last time I ever saw the Rob Zombie game on route, it was broken – I did not realize it was breaking that many times, but it just goes to show how one bad experience can really turn people off to a boutique company and I now at this stage I don't think we'll ever see one on route in the Kansas City area. At least not uh not while it's in production.
0: Yeah, probably not. I I think that's a safe assumption.
1: And the only other thing I'll I'll note is I heard on one of the other pinball podcasts I listened to, a Slam Tilt podcast, which uh, just went on hiatus for about a month, they mentioned uh, our episode with Nick from uh, North American Pinball Tour on our EM talk. And they actually also mentioned something about how Nick had secured them some super secret game that they aren't yet revealing. I thought that was interesting because naturally, who could resist but telling us what that game was so we held off on announcing what the game was (laughs) on the episode with nick however i'm ever so tempted to go ahead and scoop them on it uh i don't let let uh, let them have no 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 no. we 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 should do a little blackmail we should like demand something something (laughs) something juicy something that like they gotta give us something this is, this is, this is the high powered politicking of, of podcasts. The listeners are getting into the world. I just, what could I demand <laughs> from the podcast that has everything? I don't know. What would they give us? Now maybe they should suggest something, but, but no, no, it'll, it'll be interesting when that, when that gets announced, but it has absolutely nothing to do with us actually. So I have no interest <laughs> in discussing it. Uh, but. Anyway, that was a uh, we. I I just wanted to note that we heard about that. We appreciate them uh, liking that episode. It was a lot of fun for us to do. We don't talk electromechanical a lot, so it was a treat to have Nick. And, oh yeah, it was uh, a lot of
0: fun. It was a great night.
1: And the feedback I've gotten from outside the podcasting realm about that episode
0: has all been positive. So, what have you been doing, Tony? I have been working, but it, it, really, I've been doing a lot more than that. Um, I have been spending some more time playing Factorio. I've been spending a bunch more time playing Cold Waters. So I don't have a lot of new video game stuff to talk about because everything I've been playing are games that I've already, that I've already talked about more than anybody cares to hear about. But I've also been listening and I thought it would be done by now, but I, it hasn't. I am listening still to the latest. Uh, Brandon Sanderson book in his Stormlight archive. And it is so good. I am so happy with this book. I love all of the Stormlight books. They are his kind of magnum opus. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're his dark tower. They're his wheel of time. And it, it's got an amazing level of Brandon Sanderson. I'm sure, I don't know if you've read anything by him, but he, he's all about magic systems. Like all of his worlds have, very specific magic systems that unlike unlike you know and a lot of magic uh fantasy stuff or or anime or movies or whatever where basically your power is just whatever it needs to be at the time for the plot his systems have rules that are laid down from day one these are the rules and there's no oh the power of his heart and friendship is letting him get more str-. no these are the rules. It works according to these rules, and this is the only way it works. And I really enjoy every magic system he's made has been unique and interesting, but I really, really like this one. And it's been a fun listen so far because as I'm listening to it and I'm going through it, i kind of formed in my mind where the story was going. You know how you do when you're reading a book or something. Right. And I would kind of formed in my mind where the story was going and I kind of figured it's like, okay, this one specific item is going to be uh, probably the climatic end of the story where it'll, this will be the big hit at the end and then everything else will be clean up. And then it happened and there were still 20 hours left in the book. And I'm like, Okay, I am completely wrong with where this is going, and it's still going, and it's really good, and I've been really happy with it. Hmm.
1: No, I don't think I've ever read him. Uh, who helped me? Because I know you were you recommended it. I had once wanted to read a, a fantasy series that actually was really heavy in magic, because most of them I felt like it was just sort of tacked on. What mm-hmm. was who was the author who wrote the books where the worlds were really interlaced with magic, and then the tanks came and ruined everything?
0: Man, I can't remember now.
1: It wasn't him though.
0: I'm no, afraid, it wasn't. Him. I don't
1: recognize this name.
0: Okay, well, that's the only <laughs> no, that's the only was,
1: really magicy magical world I
0: remember reading. That was Dark Sword Trilogy. Okay, Dark Sword Trilogy. Cuz that that's the one where the, everybody's got magic and then the the main character doesn't have right, any magic right. so he's yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, uh Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Yeah, and they've done a lot of fantasy books. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the one where then, yeah, Tanks came. Yeah, the tanks. Spoiler, the tanks came. Yeah.
1: Um. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you found another book that works really well in the fantasy setting.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I tend to find a fair number of good ones. Um. Of course, like I said, they're mainly, I hit the big ones. I mean. Right. So like Ice and Fire. I mean, Wheel of Times, obviously. Uh, One of the grand fantasy things provided oh, yeah. you can you can handle the um oh ticks of the writer because there's lots of crossing arms and and, and harrumphing and and super super detailed descriptions of every single outfit that anybody wears ever and my wife's sticking her tongue out at me it's her favorite series yeah, it's. Uh, I've never read it, but it is exceedingly popular.
1: Yeah, and long. Very yes, long. That's the main thing I've also heard about it. It's very long. Well, since we have a long – well, I have no idea if this episode will be long, but we definitely have a lot of individualized topics under our two categories. So let's go ahead and transition on into pinball. The first <laughs> couple I know are going to be quick, though. Uh, one I kind of already hinted at, which was Walking Dead surprise code update. Hooray! Uh, no one knew this one was coming because it the Stern of the, the Union newsletter that uh, Zach Sharp, now that he's in charge of marketing with Stern Pinball, has started up. It didn't mention this one. So, uh, and I read the uh, the notes, or at least most of them. It was long. There, it was a massive patch and patch is probably the accurate way to describe it they did add some new code things certain i think some of the insert stuff uh there's some aspects about the uh scoring and some of the modes like i think there were a few modes where the jackpots actually started at zero points for like the first time you hit them and then they would give you points and so those have been changed to actually have higher starting values because you know zero is kind of low and, but pretty much everything else were patches from things that – there were ways if you got deep enough in the game that it could reset the entire system to just uh, other finicky little things that weren't always working right. So there was a massive amount of cleanup to it. But uh, And as I noted, I, I did get a game in on it with the new code. The baseline stuff's all presented the same way, all the shots. and So there's nothing dramatic from a when you're early in the game, you're not going to notice anything. But Anyway, it is there, so it's a little bit of news. Uh next little bit of news topic I thought I wanted to mention real quick would be Highway Pinball. They I think just after our episode 48 actually made a public announcement about essentially the state of the company. They acknowledged that things were worse off than they originally thought when they came in with their cash infusion
0: and that no. it, I
1: know, I, your your mind is blown, Tony. And I'm sure this will also blow your mind. It's taken them longer to get things going than they thought it would.
0: No, I I can't believe it. I, I refuse. I refuse to believe that.
1: Okay. I, that state of denial, hold it as long as possible. Keep the dream alive because my, my <laughs> dreams have, have died. Uh, they did indicate there is still the plan to release the limited edition versions of the Alien Pinball game soon. Uh, and that they are continuing to make more standard edition games, and I believe I've seen separate reports of more of those going out. However, they have now finally indicated what I think a lot of people were noticing, and that is those who pre-ordered under the old system cannot all get their games first. New buyers are going to the front of the line over at least a portion of the pre-order buyers, and that's why you're seeing people who are putting deposits down with CoinTaker, for example, are then getting their game in less than a month and there are other people that have had money in since 2015 that still don't have the game that ordered se versions it's not just the le people waiting so and they've indicated it's the only way they don't have the cash to to do it otherwise and it's also not everyone has gotten a refund yet there are pending refund requests they've acknowledged that and they've acknowledged they don't have the money they have to sell more games to get enough money to do the refunds
0: so that's the state i'm Actually, if anything, amazed that people are actually buying games, considering it's flat out. Well, we need people to buy games so we can afford to give refunds to the people because there's problems with our game. I'm, I understand the economy of it. I understand that they have to have money coming in to build games, and so obviously they're going to have to have when somebody buys a game they're going to send it to them immediately because that's the money they're going to use to build the games for the people who've already paid money years ago to get the game. Sure. Uh,
1: I mean, I, I get it in the sense that those that are buying now, because they're buying through the distributors with a refundable deposit, they're not really at risk of anything. Because Highway doesn't get the money until the game is built and shipped to the distributor. So CoinTaker holds onto that deposit and if you want out, you get your money back. So essentially anyone who wants to buy now, they're not facing any purchase risk. The risk that I'm a bit surprised at in terms of people still being interested would be if Highway goes away, I would think that the fear about part acquisition would start to become an issue because I don't know how much of it's customized. Uh, And difficult to, you know, it's the reason why, why do people worry about getting a a Zacharia game or getting an Atari game? It's because the parts are kind of rare. Some of the parts, at least. Yeah. I I don't know. I also don't know how many, though, they're really so. I mean, it was a big to do when the when a container came over with games, but that was 20 games. So when you think about it, it's not I mean, the Big Lebowski had over 50 that went out, I thought. So this is this is not like impressive numbers yet. Sort of a separate, uh, it wasn't a part of this announcement, but I want to throw it into this segment, was Barry Osler, uh, famed pinball designer from the Williams era. He did games like Space Shuttle, and uh, I think Junkyard was his, the uh, pinbot games. He, uh, He is contracted with Highway and is working on game number two for them, and maybe game number three as well, actually, I think, so...
0: Anyway, How much of that is something that you can actually think will ever happen?
1: I remain deeply skeptical. I mean, I'm I bet you I, I bet you his design is done. I don't I don't know about it getting made. I think it's a long shot. I, I still lean towards that highway won't be able to survive this uh this alien thing. I maybe they do enough alien sales to right the ship, basically recoup their investment, uh, get everyone their games so it's not a total disaster, but after that, I would assume they'd pull the plug, but I don't know. Once you have all the tooling up and everything, and the if the line becomes efficient, and they can hold on to employees for the construction, eh, you know, maybe it makes sense. But I don't know. It's a their current price point on Alien is high. I know pinball's expensive now but I mean 8000 you're that's a crowded market. Houdinis are cheaper than that, Stern Pros are cheaper than that. You can get Stern Premiums about that price. I mean, the only ones that are really over them honestly is Jersey Jack and and Dutch. So,
0: it's just it is what it is, but and I like with, how you ju- ju- just dropped Houdini into that list cuz that's another thing that I'm still waiting for.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, they indicated, I thought, an intention to actually be ready to ship by, by year end. And I wasn't really going to talk about American Pinball uh, in the context of Houdini, at least, in the pinball segment this time. But I don't know if they're going to make that or not. Uh, they, they have been – their programmer is pretty active on Pinside. So he's been constantly doing updates. So I've constantly seen the photos of the parts coming in and things like that. So I've seen the incremental steps of production. I do think it's a little interesting though that they did whip together those prototypes so fast, and there was so much praise you know that three month turnaround, yeah, you know what we call it, the Gottlieb design style people three months wasn't anything special. Gottlieb did it for years, no one liked it. no <laughs> one liked the result, but Gottlieb did it for years uh but it's it's sort of funny, it's like, hey, look, we built a game in three months and then it's
0: nine months later, and we're still waiting for it, sort of thing uh. Mm-hmm. Are almost yeah but months, I can so. understand they they i think that was completely built around uh getting them the kind of press they had to have something to counteract where they were, yeah I uh, think so. due to their whole issue uh that they had to do something, and I think it worked really well for them
1: uh yeah um, no, it got the, it got them there's not really been any blowback and and they were very clear when that happened that the expectation wasn't till the end of the year that they'd be ready to ship games to buyers, so they've not missed any timelines they're uh i just I just thought it you know is an interesting approach, an approach I wouldn't recommend they do on future games, but they're in a position that I could easily see them doing future games.
0: Yeah, at this point, I'm not willing to call, which is a surprising because I honestly thought that company was dead, uh, not horribly long ago, uh, when the, when the initial outburst happened like a year ago. But now I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, if we do what we did last year for our next episode, which will be the last one of
1: December, I believe we could do our year end review and <laughs> we can talk about all the predictions we missed. But
0: yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about doing that for this and for video games mm-hmm. um, Oh yeah, next episode. Yeah, that's what
1: I'm thinking about. So that, that's what we're going to plan on, folks. So there you go. Sneak peek at episode 51. Uh, all right, let's go to pinball topic number three. Now this one, uh, <clears throat> yeah, this one's going to be interesting. This one was a lot of fun. This is deep root <laughs> pinball. I know we've mentioned them before, but I think we only mentioned them one time. that was back when we realized that they were around and that John Papaduke, commonly referred to as J-Pop, was associated with them as a pinball designer. And for those that don't remember the history, John Papaduke was associated with American Pinball. And that was a big noteworthy thing because he was associated with his own company, Zidware, which had planned to make three games, uh, Magic Girl... Uh, retro Atomic Zombie adventure land, commonly called Raza, and Alice in Wonderland. And none of those got made by Zidware. And Zidware, through J-Pop, announced they were out of money. American Pinball comes along and says, we're going to do uh, a deal with J-Pop. They were gonna, he was going to give them a Houdini design. They were going to make Magic Girl games. They did make the Magic Girl games, but they did not use this Houdini design. And he was disassociated with the company, and they brought in other people who made a whole new Houdini they just kept the theme that's it so that was it in a nutshell well deep root had just a few days ago an interview with them was published and conducted by uh this week in pinball i don't know have have we mentioned this week in pinball on the I, show before
0: not that i can recall no. i mean that i'm not i'm not going to say for sure that it hasn't been
1: i don't remember doing it
0: uh which is but kinda,
1: well, okay. There's a, there's a, uh, a website, a weekly update. It's actually, if you want to read about pinball news, it's the best cons- condensed, concise source to find out happenings in pinball on a weekly basis. Hence the name, This Week in Pinball. In the show notes, there will be a direct link to their interview with Deep Root because that's the subject of this, but it's uh, a number of the other podcasts. Some of the pinball only podcasts rely actually pretty heavily on This Week in Pinball. I think to build their new segments out. I'm still. I guess more traditional or just stuck in my ways of trying to track my own threads uh, and uh I don't obviously because we're biweekly, we don't uh go into the depth that you will see in terms of the number of topics that this week in pinball covers, but anyway, it's a good site to go and bookmark. I follow it, i followed it for months, so it's it's pretty handy for just reading up on news anyway uh they I think this is their first interview that they've done or at least a long what I call a long form interview, and not that it's too long, I think it takes less than five minutes to read but I wanted to point it out for a couple of reasons. I recommend people go and read it. Number oh, one. yeah, definitely. Number definitely. one. Definitely, that needs yeah, to be read. It does. It, it really does. Uh, for I think there are two reasons behind that. The first is the questions are really good. So uh, credit to This Week in Pinball because it actually is an interview that feels like a real interview. It's not rude or anything, it, but it asks all the relevant questions.
0: The other reason why <laughs> well. people need to read it. No, no. <laughs>
1: This weekend, pinball was not rude. The okay. other reason that one needs to read it is because the responses from Deep Root Pinball are a delicious examination of the <laughs> psychology of an attorney that almost comes across as a villain in a John Grisham novel. I, it was just, it was fascinating. I bet in reality, he's, he's probably a very nice person to get along with, but. Wow, I have to say these were some bold answers, <laughs> and they are. I uh, he gives a good interview. I'll say that much because it was. Yeah, like, it, I'm reading it this was. in my The Rainmaker, A Time to Kill voice going on here, like holy cow, he is not pulling
0: punches. So, well, and part of me, and when I read it, part of me thought and wondered if this what might not have been one of those things, or he might not be one of those people who it is better to actually have heard because I wonder a voice tone would have changed it. So it wouldn't have come off quite so um snooty. Hmm.
1: It, it, it does. um It does read off a little lawyerly would be how I describe it. And am I, I mean, I don't the whole time in the interview, it's noting that the response is deep root. It wasn't saying the person's name. I think, it was the head of Deep Root who is an attorney. We'll, we'll get a little bit into that in a bit. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to touch on just what the briefly, I'm not going to read the interview out loud. People need to just go and read it at This Week in Pinball. But uh, here is here are the bullet points. Uh, the Deep Root has offered settlement terms. Uh, and currently those settlement terms are for people who are customers of Zidware but are not in litigation against Zidware. And... There is a separate document that you can access that's linked that will explain why Deep Root had offered these terms to the litigants and then pulled it back. So, And that's a fascinating read as well because it's also, I would describe, as aggressively toned. Uh, the second point I'd note is that uh, Deep Root repeatedly claimed that making pinball is easy. The third point would be that uh, J-Pop was the right choice for them as a designer and that they had considered other options. Uh, fourth point was that they are in negotiations with uh, the artist commonly known as Zombie Yeti, who did the a lot of the artwork for Magic Girl. Uh, another bullet point is that they are threatening to litigate against American Pinball. if American Pinball does not help resolve some matters. I'm assuming that has to do with the a uh, license or who controls Magic Girl. It might involve some of the other Zidware games. I'm not clear. Uh, another bullet point was that the Magic Girl programmer, he goes by the handle Applejuice on Pinside. Deeproot is claiming that they think he appears on the surface of things to be in breach of Zidware's contract with him. And they have suggested that they, being Deep Root, will take action if Applejuice continues to be defamatory. So that's sort of a summary um, you've already you know hit on some of the tone stuff, but I guess Tony, what just what to you? I I know you read the interview. What what stands out? What do what do you think? Because uh, this was, I mean, it was probably the boldest interview in pinball that I have
0: heard or read in three years. Oh yeah, no, this was an amazingly bold bold interview. Uh, a lot of it came off. I. I It did come off, like I said earlier, almost, you know, holier than thou at some point. That's why I your word. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm wondering about tone. If it wasn't, if the tone of the actual interview, uh, vocally would come off different than how it played out, um, in the questioning.
1: Uh, and I have no idea if the interview was conducted orally or if it was, uh, written form.
0: Yeah. I have no idea. Uh, I know there were, Points like at one point he play he's playing the whole uh, I've got a secret card uh, that was kind of annoying if anything the the five days of deep root
1: thing yeah or, okay.
0: yeah the five days of deep root and just kind of playing trying to play coy about it
1: yeah I think he was uh, to me I took that as a, a buildup
0: sort of hyping a, a marketing strategy
1: that they're planning on.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure that's what it was. I mean that's what it seemed like. Uh but no, uh just overall it came off very we're the best. We're better than anybody in the entire world, and everybody else is just going to be just might as well not even exist anymore once we hit the the market.
1: Yeah. I um uh, I, I I saw I saw that tone as well. Um, a few, a few thoughts that I had, um, I thought it was a little odd that when they were questioned about what other developers, pinball designers, I should say, were considered before they settled on J-pop, they had noted that a number of the ones that you might think of are already tied up doing other projects. When pressed on that, they wouldn't name names because they didn't, some might get in trouble with their jobs. And that's fine. I totally understood mm-hmm. that, except completely understandable. except then, uh, uh, you know, a little bit later, they have no problem throwing Scott Denisi's name out as when they approached. Now, I know that Scott Denisi doesn't work directly for spooky pinball, but I still thought it was odd that they were willing to mention that they approached him as a designer, but it was all of a sudden, you know, sacrosanct not to name any other names again, it was just sort of like a eh, maybe there was one design my, my take was there might have been one designer who said, you know i'm I'm working for JJP right now don't don't tell him my, my name needs to be secret, and then he just kind of extended it to everyone, and I think that's that's cool, but I would have extended it to Scott Denisi as well, just because he's uh new and and doing it with spooky doesn't make him any less of a designer. I would have given him the same consideration that I was giving all the rest. Uh, it was just a, it was, I thought it was a little odd. Uh, I thought it was really odd to uh, call out the Magic Girl programmer about the quote-unquote defamation, The but more so the speculation about that he might be in breach of his employment contract with Zidware, which is way outside of the realm of Deep Root's business, honestly. Yeah. Uh, that contract is not with Deep Root. They acknowledge that as well. I have seen that uh, Apple Juice has posted back on Pinside you can search it if you want in the uh in the thread about the interview where he's pushed back against that, claiming that he was not what happens is the interview points out like he's been paid a certain amount of money. But Apple juice's response is that he was not paid everything he was supposed to be paid. So if the you can go. You see both of those, and you almost get an impression that oh, the interview mentions this amount, like hundred thousand, I think dollars was what was mentioned. As if oh, he's gotten, he got everything. But you know, if he was contracted to get a certain amount of money, and it doesn't matter if he got a lot of money, if he didn't get paid everything he was supposed to get paid, he still got cheated. But I think he even noted that those amount. He does not know where that hundred thousand came from because that is not accurate. So he even challenged that. So again, that's one of those areas where I, I thought it was it was bold, but to me odd that you would go ahead and go with that line of attack. That kind of name dropping, uh, you know, it's a it's a strategy that uh, it can be, you know, you can get blowback if you start stomping on toes. And a lot of people are very sympathetic to the plight of the programmer, especially because it's felt that he's always had a leg down versus zombie yeti who's always seems to get more consideration probably because it's so easy to see what he did on display even when the game doesn't work. So Yeah. So I thought that was a little odd and then the but there was one thing that actually a lot of people online have taken issue with but I am a bit more sympathetic to. And that was the that the deep roots claims uh did a couple times in the interview that that making pinball is easy. Uh a lot of people you got I think almost Uh, mad that they would say that but you know i'm gonna say this is someone with zero manufacturing experience i don't think it's nearly as hard as people constantly try and make you think it is they only were building these freaking games since what the 30s it's not sometimes it's people act like it's some sort of lost art that no one can figure out it's not it can't be that hard to make a pinball machine now, there, I think what happened is you have a lot of people that get into this who are really passionate about an idea, and they have absolutely no idea to execute a manufacturing business. And that's why they fail. But they fail manufacturing just about anything. Um, but it is harder than, you know, it's not like making a video game cabinet. So, so there, yeah, I would not go and say making that. pinball is easy, but the whole making pinball is hard has become this sort of rote statement now, and I think it's used as an excuse a little too much to excuse when people have delays. I don't think it's quite as hard as some people like to play up in the industry at this point because it's almost a crutch. But So I was a little sympathetic to that, but they made it sound like just anyone could go in and become a pinball manufacturing company. I personally wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> but uh, you know what do I know? Uh, anything else that stood out to you though uh, in terms of the interview?
0: Uh, there was, yeah, the easy thing was one of those things that jumped out at uh, the fact that they're saying that they can build a Ferrari for the co- price of a oh, Kia. Oh, yes, yes, the is,
1: Kia Ferrari, car- yeah.
0: car- car- argument. The cargument, the cargument. <laughs> that's one of those things that uh, uh, is kind of weird to me. I mean, it's just they constantly referred to how this is – uh, not just easy, but uh, we've worked in harder situations. We've dealt, we've dealt with stuff that's much more complicated, much harder than this. So this is just going to be kind of an easy side project type thing. Um, and how the just the way they targeted everybody currently in pinball, and the way they, the the way they acted to the other current manufacturers really came off as um, snooty. I'm just going to stay with snooty. Yeah. I'm gonna, that, that's no, the, that, I think that. that I makes think sense. that's the nice way to say it without you having to come back through and beat me. Yeah. We don't want me to beep.
1: Uh, no, I I get it. I mean, th- there was some suggestion that they have a, a different idea, a different way of doing the manufacturing. And, I mean, some of that does make, does, I mean, it did pique my curiosity, so the interview worked in that regard. I, mm-hmm. if they've got some ideas on some different building materials or something like that, that, again, it, it's, they're not that many players in pinball. It's not inconceivable to think, oh, well, this is just the way we've always done it, so people haven't considered plastic play fields and maybe they didn't work in the early 80s because of costs but things are different now and maybe it's a cheaper op you know things like that I could see I don't know the 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 uh, sheer um, puff puffery of the ferrari Kia thing though <laughs> it was it's a little yeah a little, you know maybe it's because we're mid we're midwesterners and we're not you know that might work on the coast but that does <laughs> that that stuff comes across a, a little differently around here though I believe he's from Texas so but that, you know, that state is in itself its own country. So I actually, we did have a, we did have a listener, uh, Jason Knapp, hopefully I'm saying his name right. Uh, he asked us on our, one of our social medias if uh, we could research whether Deep Root was an already successful company as was suggested in the interview. So I did take some time to look into that. Uh, and I think there, there are two things going on here. So first, let's just talk about Deep Root as a company itself. They have successfully raised money. Uh, I'm including a link in the show notes, uh, to the San Antonio Business Journal, which had an article earlier this year about Deep Root. They had two entities that have successfully, uh, raised money in equity. So Deep Root Growth runs Deep Root Growth runs Deep Fund LLC. They raised about $8.5 million in equity since 2014 and that is a portfolio financial portfolio it consists mostly of life life insurance settlements and then they also have deep root 575 fund llc which has raised about 6.7 million dollars in equity that is also an investment fund as the name would suggest i don't know what the strategy of the investment is in it and the the head of deep root is an attorney as i've noted before named robert Mul- robert Mueller, not that robert Mueller. It's Derek, like the name I think is spelled identical to the Russia investigation, Robert Mueller. And they're both attorneys. So unless he's unless uh, the, he's moonlighting as, as uh, you know, he's like, well, yeah, I, I go after I do Russia investigations when I'm not busy running deeper, which would be very funny. But but uh, it's not really likely. Uh, this Robert Mueller is actually a, a former uh employee of the United Services Automobile Association, it's commonly known as USAA. You've probably seen their commercials if you ever watch football. Uh, they they do diversified financial services and uh, as, uh, was noted as a past corporate sponsor of the San Antonio Scorpion soccer team. So here's my, uh, in, in response to Jason's query, here's what I think was going on. I don't think that Mueller, uh, I think he's the interviewee of in the This Week in Pinball interview. And given the referencing of being an attorney during the interview. I don't think there's a part in there where he talks about having multiple industry experience. I don't think he meant that Deep Root, the organization, has had multiple industry experience. I think he means he has, as an individual, actually done things in multiple industries. And everything that I've seen would indicate, yes, that's true. It seems that he's worked in estate planning, insurance products, and investments. So those are different fields, and I think any of those industries could probably be accurately described as cutthroat, which is what he references in that he's had experience in industries more cutthroat than pinball. But the thing is, I also did not see in his history any manufacturing experience. Deep Root as an organization seems to have been up until this point entirely financial services in scope. So... When he makes that statement about having enough capability experience expertise and money to do this deep root pinball thing uh, and referencing that he thinks pinball is easy, my assessment would be that he doesn't think making pinball requires much experience or expertise you just need capability and money that's my take so uh and whether or not we agree with that you know everyone gets to make up their own mind but Uh, So that's where I think he's coming from on that. I don't think he meant that Deep Root had been involved in multiple industries. I just think he, as a a person working, has obviously had a a fairly diverse career in a few different fields. I didn't see any in manufacturing, though. So this would be a a new venture, I
0: think. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of makes you wonder, well, just because you've been able to deal with the other stuff, in a way that works through the complexity of the legal part of it. That doesn't mean manufacturing is easy. It's not just, well, we give money to company B, company B does project, project's done, everything's good. I mean, we can just look at stuff we've talked about today. Look at Dutch, look at highway. I mean, both of those are situations where it hasn't been an easy thing to walk into. Sure. But I,
1: I mean, it could be as simple as thinking, well, they're not very smart. And he may be smarter than they are. I, you know, that, that, that would obviously, that saying it like that does, it comes across as perhaps <laughs> a tad arrogant, but, but that might be the, that may, it may be that simple of a takeaway that, yeah, that he may think that most of these startups have maybe been passionate about pinball and that's about the only thing they got going for him. So, I, you know, I'm not, I would be deeply skeptical. I mean, I've had, obviously, being involved in this hobby. Uh, I've had thoughts about things. I've thought I could probably execute companies better than some of the manufacturers that have attempted it. But the one thing that would always stop me from wanting to ever actually do the experiment would be I have no manufacturing experience. I am a government hack. I have no idea how to build things in a business sense, and I would be terrified to try and do it. So I would never want to risk my money in such an experiment it's not my training um, you know now if I got a job with a manufacturing company and got familiar with the process I'd probably be able to pick it up and then I'd be like okay I get it now but you know
0: it's a hobby I'm not that interested in it you don't Maybe maybe one of them needs a researcher <laughs> oh my god no they don't no they don't
1: <laughs> I mean, here's a history of failures just don't do this <laughs> yes, I'm um actually I uh that'll be a good thing for our our, our next little topic in fact but um I didn't have any a, really anything else to uh, to mention on this. Uh it was a great interview. I I hope they no, it, I hope they get more like this cuz this is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, that was a really good it was a good interview. I mean, for everything else and everything I've said, it's definitely an interview that I would recommend reading. It's worth the short amount of time it takes to go through it. Well worth it.
1: Yep, yep. Okay, let's go to our, our next pinball topic. Um this one was a, a research one I did. Uh, as research
0: man, yeah,
1: just what inspiring all the children want to grow up and be research people. I don't get to do as much research as I used to for my job, so because I'm more administrative at this point, but anyway, so sometimes I get to exercise some creativity. That's what the podcast is for, after all, but some things just lend themselves better, I think, to written form. And when we were doing episode 49 with Nick, as listeners may recall, we briefly touched upon skyrocket it was in the top 10 em list on the pin side uh listing and nick had it pretty high in his own list i think it was around four or so and it was interesting because it was a harry williams design but it was made by bally which was not a company he's really associated with so nick was surprised that it was made by harry williams because he just recall that it was a ballet game. And when I read it, when I was doing my research for the episode, I thought, oh, that's weird. But I didn't think too much about it. And so I wrote an article uh, with a, there's a link to it in the show notes. Pinball News ran it kind of like they did with my street level one. And it explores my theory behind why Harry Williams had a couple of games. There's another game also released in 71 called Firecracker that he's given design credit for. And too long didn't read version, even though it's only like a thousand words, so you guys should just go read it. Is that I think it was because Sam Stern briefly worked for Bally, and Sam and Harry were friends, and that's how it happened. So I'm not really wanting to talk about the article here. I, instead, I'm going to talk about the response to the article <laughs> because you know, Tony, we've been doing this almost two years now, the podcast, almost, almost, and at the end of January it'll be our two year anniversary. And I have written in that time period two articles that I've had published in pinball
0: and 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 both men in the last like month.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My street level one was uh, was early November, I think, uh, or mid-November. Yeah. Mid-November. And then uh, just a few days ago was this one on uh, Harry Williams. I have had now more blowback from article writing than I have for all the things we say on this podcast. (laughs) <laughs> and It's just like okay, so so here's the story. I thought it was an interesting story, so I wanted to go ahead and share it. The uh, Martin, who is the editor of Pinball News, I I don't I don't get paid with the articles or anything. I just I was trying to find a home for for the first one. He liked it. Uh, I guess the response was good, so he said, if "You have more stuff like this? I I'm interested in it." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll keep it in mind." And so I did the Harry Williams one because you know my interest got peaked when we were talking with Nick. And I finally had enough time to do my research and put it all together. It goes uh, so Thursday morning. I'm getting ready for to go to work. I check my computer. Martin has his draft up because he has to do a lot of editing to what I've you know to get it formatted properly for the site and everything. I proof it. I you know I give my changes and I sign off on it and it goes live. So I drive into the office. I get there. I'm getting my stuff ready and I have a message for Martin. And it goes, uh-oh. <laughs> and, then <he> comes, <laughs> and, it opens, and then he opens a paste in a message that came in to him from Gary Stern. Gary Stern wants to be contacted because there were, as it was described, terrible inaccuracies with my piece. So Martin asks if I'd be willing to, to, to talk to Gary. And I say, sure. And so he has a cell phone number. So I. I I'm calling Gary and I'm thinking, this is always the concern. This is the fear that a researcher has, at least one that cares about their uh, their quality. It's always making a mistake in a, in a report or in numbers or in anything, especially if your whole hypothesis, I mean, it's okay if the hypothesis gets pushed back against for things that maybe you couldn't account for, but you don't want to misinterpret anything. So I'm doing this call and I'm thinking terrible inaccuracies. What did I screw up? Did I get... Did I get the names mixed up? Were there were there more than one Harry Williams, or what? You know, I am trying to think. Of, did I have the dates wrong? But the whole, but this at the same time, I am thinking I sourced this really well. I mean, not not to pat myself on the back, but it is very well sourced, uh, and that's all linked in the article, so you can go if you are curious, you can go and read or listen to everything I use, uh, and that's why I do it that way, so people can trace it all back and 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 understand exactly what I am using to construct my narrative. So uh, he answers. He's in his car. And I, uh, I introduced myself because he'd gotten a hold of Martin, not me. And I, you know, I apologize for any, you know, if it upset him because obviously it was to be a fun piece. I wasn't trying to slight anyone. It's not a hatchet job. I uh, I've done hatchet work before. Uh, you'll know if it's hatchet work, uh, folks. But I don't ever see a reason to do that in pinball. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, sometimes on the government side, we've had to uh, deal with uh, opposition in certain ways. But the anyway, so I'm just like, okay, so what? What are the inaccuracies? Because you know, we the nice thing about things being online is we can go and fix it. But I'm already thinking, uh oh, myself, because I load up the article so I can go and jump to any sections at Pinball News. It already had over 700 views before and it's only been an hour so I'm like this has already gotten out so I I, you know the (laughs) survey the genie doesn't want to really fit back in the bottle so I hope I didn't screw up too too bad but this made it sound pretty catastrophic and then as I'm talking to him it it really only focused in primarily on one thing and there's a there's a line where it mentions that Sam it has to do with Sam buying Harry Williams out and about embarrassment, and that was the part. And it was that during the discussion. And, and let me—I uh, should say—I should have made it clear up front. But but Gary Stern was polite the entire conversation. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't rude. He was—it was a totally friendly uh, phone conversation. But I—it became clear to me that you know, obviously, as you know, taking off my little history hat and putting on my talking to a person hat, I'm like, oh, okay, yes, this is his dad, so he's going to be sensitive to this sort of stuff. And so I don't know, though, if he had had read the paragraph very closely or not, but I wasn't speculating with that. I was referencing an interview that Williams pinball designer Steve Kordak had given. So that's where that information came from. And it was sourced. So he explained how that wasn't accurate. Now, I said, "Okay, I, I get it, but... This is just Steve Cordex' claim, and I credit it to Steve Cordex. So I didn't present it as fact. I presented it as this is what Steve said, and you know he indicated, well, no, but that's not right. And I said, okay, well, if you would like to give me some counter, you know, language, I'll be more than happy to put that in. Martin and I are fine with that. We can, you know, give it more balance. Uh, so, and the only other thing he really, we really touched on, he gave me some history stuff and he kind of affirmed some of the other things, the things that I was caring about in the article, which was nice. Uh, but the only other thing was that he had wished that I had reached out to him, uh, before running the article that he would have sort of expected it. Um, uh, now part of that is perhaps, I know you study journalism, Tony, I did not. So I'm not a trained journalist, I never considered. I am not
0: a trained journalist I studied journalism yes but I changed my major very early on
1: yeah but you had even back in your high school days you did stuff with journalism I had none, yeah all had through none high of school. that I had none of that so some of that could just be that you know I'm more of a researcher not a journalist so that that's on me but on the flip side uh, this was a focus on information and happenings essentially from 1969 to 1971 in the chronology there is no reason for me to think that gary would know anything more than any other family member of anyone i mean i you know i don't know growing up my dad didn't come home and talk about work so i'm not used to that but is there like well you're not i mean here's the thing all the primaries are deceased so everything was secondary source and almost all the secondaries are deceased as well Now, I might be more inclined to believe Gary's version than Steve Kordak's version, but there's no reason for me to necessarily think that Gary knew anything about this particular period. That he does is great. So, anyway, I offered uh, to you know do a revision. Uh, I held off on promoting uh, the article uh, towards the end of the day. I still haven't heard back, so I don't know if he reread it and then realized, oh okay, this is Steve's claim and didn't care or he forgot about it or what, but
0: I, I say I think it's one of those things where f as a from a journalistic standpoint is just put in both sides and let the people decide which one they think is more sure. likely.
1: Sure. And and I I talked to Martin about that afterwards. He was in agreement with me that that, uh, we shouldn't pull the article down because of these disagreements, that the inaccuracies might be on the sources, but we clearly identified who the sources are. So we didn't commit an error in that regard. Uh, I'm a bit surprised that I haven't gotten. I later I had a meeting, so I couldn't stay on the phone with him. And so later that day, I sent him an email with some suggested language with as best as I could reconstruct from what limited I tried to take notes as best I could from the phone call. Um, and I haven't heard back on it. I need him to sign off, though, because I didn't record that conversation and I wasn't doing good notes. So I need to know for sure if I captured everything accurately. Uh, whenever I've dealt with the press in my job, I don't I can't think of a single time they ever gave me more than 24 hours to respond so I'm a bit surprised yeah. it's taken this. Maybe in the business side they are a little more kind, but I, uh, you know, uh, if he gets it to me, I'll, I'll get it in there. But last I looked, that that piece is almost at 1,300 viewers now. I don't know how many more people are going to bother reading it. So, um, but anyway, it was just sort of interesting because it's like. Uh, Uh, when I did the street level one, you know, John Norris was kind enough to leave a comment and Martin let me know about that. And that was right after the article came out. And then apparently like within an hour of him posting this one, uh, Gary wrote in to complain. So I guess industry people read the pinball news. So that's nice. Yay.
0: Pinball. Well, congratulations. You have now had contacts with the higher ups. What do you want? You want an interview with, you want an interview with Gary? No, we've had the talk. We're not really interview people. <laughs> you, you I did plenty you of wanted interviews to guest host? back in the day. Well, yeah, exactly. I'll, well, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and have a conversation with anybody.
1: Okay. You you might need to reach out to him at this stage, because I, be, <laughs> I might not be allowed on the tour for a little while, so to speak. But, but so anyway.
0: Noah, but so he, was very, not, he was very he was very tour so. here real quick, like? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but anyway, it was it was perfectly friendly conversation. It was just... Oh, I'm just not used to all of this out of hobby stuff. I'm just sticking my hand in every boiling pot there is, I guess. <laughs> I just thought this was a fun little you know fluff piece of interesting pinball history. all the other responses I've had have been positive, so incidentally, if you guys like that sort of article stuff, let uh, let Martin at Pinball News know. I think he's always looking to know what type of articles people want to see. One last little thing: I think it's probably time for us to pick a new tournament for us to do. Cause we're well enough past the system 11 finale at this stage. And part of the reason I'm bringing it up is one of our listeners on Facebook. Uh, hopefully I'll say the name right, but as everyone knows, I'd say no names correctly on this show. Uh, Andreas Nervin, uh, did a couple suggestions. I wanted to figure out probably which one should we go with here. Uh, he suggested either we do Gottlieb system three which I'll note would be easy to establish and seed, but familiarity might be low versus what we've typically done, at least between us two. And uh, his other suggestion was uh, pinball collectors shame games. And we'd need to define what that means and how to seed it out, but it could be a lot of fun to do some sort of contest or, or I should say tournament with games that are, I don't, I don't know. It depends how we define what shame means. If it's a game like you, you would want to own, but you wouldn't want to admit, or I don't know. But what, what are your thoughts, Tony? Or we do something else entirely. But those were his suggestions. So
0: I think the shame game is. I'm not really sure how we set something like that up as a tournament, but I could see where it'd be fun to go with a thing where people just contact us with well these are the games that aren't well liked or are ugly or are this or that but I don't know why but I love this game and I have this game in my in my uh, lineup and I'm not planning on getting rid of it because even though it's a hated game, I love it. Hmm. Uh, something okay. like that I could see because just because otherwise I say I mean how do you decide what's a shame game? I mean That was my big hang up uh yeah you
1: know that's uh okay i i think that one would be more fun so i i, I like the idea of it uh let me tell i'll probably by the hopefully by the next step well i should be able to by the next episode but i'll probably look at setting up maybe a google form or something that we can disseminate a link out to and people could type in a game that they want and then we can see how many results we get of shame games and then we can randomly seed them or something and then we'll have to decide, though, what is it? Which which of these shameful games would you rather own or do, or do the – which of these more shameful games is more shameful and try and figure out, like, what the trashiest example was? But whoever – it might be more fun to find out what is the best of the shameful games because um, otherwise Hercules might win. So – we got we got to consider poor hercules <laughs> uh and maybe we'll, we, we we might impose some uh protective rules like if it's in the if it's in the pin side top 100 or 200 uh, I, I i you know we axe it and say no that's not shameful enough you got to get real trashy
0: <laughs>
1: <Sort of laughs> you got to get
0: down in the weeds yeah yeah okay
1: uh i'll I'll look at uh putting some sort of system together and tony and i will talk about it off air to figure out a way to to execute but something like that We'll, we'll plan on doing something along those lines. It'll be very different from anything we've done before, so that should be fun.
0: Yeah, I think that will be fun.
1: Okay, Tony, video games, lead us off, because there's been a lot of news going on.
0: Oh, there's always a lot of news in video games. There's just a couple things I want to hit on, and none of them are going to be like huge, huge. But I'm going to start back to something we've referenced over the last two uh, episodes, EA and loot boxes. Mm, Once they again, love their loot. They, they do, uh, they gave an uh, interview, uh, talk with, that's listed up on Polygon. We'll have the, uh, link in the show notes. But they were talking about, uh, cosmetic loot boxes. And they were basically saying that there will not be cosmetic loot boxes and they did not plan on there being cosmetic loot boxes, uh, because of canon? they don't want cosmetics because they don't want to do things that would mess up the Canon costuming for some reason. Uh, they don't want to. Yeah.
1: So I can't dress up Luke Skywalker as an Ewok because he would never have done that in the movies.
0: Right. And their references is they don't want to, they didn't want to put stuff out like a pink Darth Vader or a white Darth Vader. Hello Kitty. Darth Vader is what everyone wants. I know it is, but at the same time, it's uh, one of those things that is humorous to me because even going away from doing, a well, let's put out a pink Darth Vader, is simply, I mean, you could do Darth Vader with his helmet off. You could do Darth Vader um, from episode three after he'd made the turn, but before he hit the suit, he was still Vader. Uh, you could go with um, some of the, like, so when he had some damage to the suit, stuff like that. And that's just on Darth Vader. Uh, if you look at the other characters, I mean, they don't all wear the exact same thing all the time. I mean, there's no reason you can't make those changes but at the same time, and as is pointed out in uh, this thing, is you have stuff where you can have people from movies 40 years apart from each other fighting each other. And that's kind of against canon. So Yeah, I, yeah, I don't get – yeah,
1: this doesn't make sense to me because of that. That's what I was thinking of in particular.
0: Yeah, no, you, it, it, you bring it, it's in your Darth weird. Maul
1: hero and he's busy fighting against, uh, Han Solo or something. Uh, it doesn't make sense as it is from right. a canon standpoint.
0: So yeah, it's just, it, it, it's weird. Uh, then when you look at, I mean, considering this is a game that has a lot of common foot soldiers, why can't you get the, little armor coloration bits to be a, so your stormtrooper looks like a, like he's an officer or the little things like the sand troopers had or, or why can't you get something to change your, the rebels troops? So, Oh, Hey, this rebel troop isn't a human. I mean, it's just, it's weird. I think it just sounded like a, throw up an excuse why we didn't do it that way type thing. And EA's become such a big target, uh, since this whole loot crate debacle went up. And it doesn't help that their beta for the new UFC game looks like it's just as heavily loot crate, uh, loot crated up. Uh, I've been reading some bad reports about it. I mean, it's not a game I would have ever played anyway, but the fact that literally to get moves in that game comes from stuff like crates. So, oh, yeah, sure, everybody has a jab, but I spent $15 and I got this superstar jab that hits harder and faster and everything. It's just, it's insane to me. Mm. Okay, well, I think
1: it's silly, but I don't understand anything they've been doing with Battlefront lately.
0: I don't understand anything EA's been doing other than, hey, let's make the monies. So speaking of making the monies and silly, (laughs) let's go ahead and jump over to Star Citizen. I love this one. Oh, Star Citizen. Apparently they've decided that putting out $850 starship packs where you'll buy, that you can buy to give you a single ship in the game when it launches, if it launches and Having, giving you the ability to go and drop $15,000 on the game so you can start out with access to every single ship in the game. Actually, I don't think the $15,000 gives you access to every ship. I think it just gives you access to a large percentage of the ships. Mm.
1: Yeah. 15,000 sounds a little low.
0: So I'm, I'm glad it's not everything. Well, yeah, it, it, it's understandable. Uh, but now. Now they've added to their whole little funding bit of darkness. Uh now they're selling land claim licenses. Well these land came li- claim land claim licenses they're cheap. For for star citizen they are super cheap. 50 bucks. Oh Fifty dollars gives you the ability to claim a single four-kilometer by four-kilometer parcel of, of land that has been zoned for commercial, residential, or industrial use. It's as easy as that. For fifty bucks on a game that's not out yet, has no release date, has not had a major update in almost a year, uh, in the uh, for its even beta stuff, uh, you can buy ability to own some land that you can make modifications to and build a, a business or a house or something with a system that's not even designed yet and not working yet and not anything. But if you really want to, you can spend $100 and get to the ability to get an 8 kilometer by 8 kilometer claim because, you know, 4K by 4K just might not be enough. You might need that 8K. At what point are they expecting to introduce the ability to sell me bridges? I would guess that that'll probably come in like three or four uh, update waves from now. Maybe five. We'll have to see. So have people not lost faith in this game yet?
1: Because this sounds like the definition of vaporware, but but so odd because it's still actually trying to take and make more and more money. And I mean, I can't say if this is being successful or not on the land claim thing, but... But they, I don't
0: understand. A lot of people have really, really started to lose faith in Star Citizen. A lot of the people who um, were really large, strong uh, followers have started – to give up on it, but there are still hardcore people. There are literally people with fifteen and twenty thousand dollars into this game that is at best, at best alpha. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a hundred dollars into this game and I haven't touched. I didn't know you, I didn't know you were in on it. Yeah, I was in on it. I, I've mentioned it on on
1: the show before. I I, bl- I blocked it. I mean, I w- I really liked Chris Roberts and the Wing Commander
0: and all that. So I I liked his games a lot in the nineties. That's that's why I got in on it. And they, I mean, it was a long time ago. I mean, I got in on it. At, see, the Kickstarter was in two thousand and twelve, and I actually missed the Kickstarter. I got in on the in twenty thirteen. Uh, when they first opened up their continuing funding thing through their website, that's when I got in on it. So, four years ago, and I've never seen anything. I, I've never seen anything. Uh, when I, the last time I loaded anything up about it was right after they launched their very first module, uh, which was the hangers module. Right. I remember that. Uh, I played around in the hangers module a little bit and looked at my ship that I'd purchased and I've never, ever, ever touched it since. Uh, there is a timeline that somebody created that is on, uh, imager. Uh, let me get a copy of that. I'll add that to the links just in case anybody is interested in Yeah, That covers all of their major, um, patches uh, on the releases stuff it's got a real interesting coverage because it shows their first stuff and their first launches uh, were in 2014 uh, and that would like so that was the last time I messed with anything was the hangar module and they've added stuff since then uh, the arena commander which was the first flight test stuff I never did anything with it then they added racing and they added uh all sorts of other little modules cuz oh, i'm sorry yeah 2013 was the hanger module uh which was the last time i had anything to do with it then they did a whole bunch of patches to that they added the flight module they added racing i haven't touched either of those those were both in uh 2014 uh, about 3 months apart and then they added a playtest kind of universe thing the 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 ptu and they just started adding more little modules because they're designing it, supposedly, as individual modules that are getting clicked together and to, will eventually be a main game. And okay. They, yeah. But there has been nothing at all since April of 2017. Uh, and that was a minor patch to a minor patch, to a minor patch. There has not been a major release of any form since December of 2016. And their 3.0, uh, patch was supposed to have landed earlier this year and got pushed. And it is, it's not going to happen. 3.0 isn't going to hit this year and it'll hit next year at the earliest. Um, Unless unless there's some big surprise where it's going to drop right here at the end of the year, but I doubt it. A lot of the features that they were originally talking about 3.0 sounds like they've been kicked out of 3.0. It's It's such a mess, and there are still people just completely pouring tons of money into it, and people who are still—it has a hype level— That is just so amazing, especially for what has amounted to this many years of just, just BS trying to drag people on and still getting money. It's amazing to me. I mean, the hype on this game makes no man's sky look like something nobody's nobody'd ever heard of and never got any coverage. Hmm. And yet somehow it is still a huge to do with huge popular backing. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're sitting at 180 million, $200 million, something like that, that they've raised, uh, over the years here. Let me check their funding real quick. Um, their latest stats are $172 million have been raised in the last, you know, four years. And they still are creating stretch goals. (sighs) And they still are creating all this other stuff. I don't know. It's sad. It's, it's horrible. Um, I know they had a single player version of this because because they've turned star citizen into a giant MMO creature, uh persistent world MMO monster, but they were just putting it going to put out a single player game before star citizen hits called squadron 42. Right. I heard about that. And there's been really no news on it either. As far as I've, I've seen, uh, it started, it's got serious voice acting. I mean, uh, Gary Oldman, Mark Hamill, uh, they've got all sorts of, uh, of solid voice actors in it, but nothing has come of it. Nothing has come. I mean, John Reese Davis, Jillian Anderson, Andy Circus. I mean, this is not a minor thing, but I've not heard anything about it. I've not heard. Anything. I think it's, I don't know. I think it's going to be terrible when it happens. Uh I have hopes, but it's just, this is probably the big, biggest boondoggle in video games right now. And they're making so much money and they're still making money. I don't understand it. Well,
1: we'll just have to keep our eyes
0: on it because I,
1: I can't explain it. Yeah,
0: it's, I just don't
1: understand a lot of things. Do you understand Battletech?
0: I understand Battletech. Talk to me
1: about Battletech. C-
0: cleanse the palates of the listener. I'm cleansing the palates. The Hairbrain Schemes Battletech game is getting closer to complete. Uh, they did a couple interviews uh, lately where they have put out details on what's coming. Uh, they've put out some more details, including a YouTube video, uh, showing some of the missions from the single, or showing a single mission from the single player. Um, and they have launched the multiplayer beta test. Um, I haven't played it yet. I've been playing other things and I just have not had a chance to sit down and play it. but. Uh, this is the game I actually have decent hopes for because they seem to be going in a really good, uh, straight direction and they have a, mm, pardon me. They have gone out of their way to keep the people happy and they haven't gone completely insane with, uh, stuff like star citizen has. They haven't thrown any of that stuff in there. It's, expected to come out in 2018 which is what they've said since the beginning and we'll have to we'll have to see i have high hopes for this what i've seen from what they've put out so far looks good the single player arena combat and met combat was a ton of fun um i did the one video of it uh i've played a lot more of it than that um and I'm looking forward to playing some of the multiplayer. I just haven't had a chance to sit down and play it lately. Uh, So it's going to be, this is my palette cleanse hope for the future game. It's probably the thing I'm most looking forward to uh, in 2018. Oh, cool. Yeah.
1: I knew you were really excited about this one and it sounded like things have been, well, I know there were some minor delays on just in terms of, where they thought they were and they had to go back and clean a little bit of stuff up but they've stuck to the timelines pretty well so yeah no they professional would be the word
0: yeah and and hairbrain schemes is a decent company that has done uh good work before uh they put out those um the shadow run returns and shadow run dragonfall that's all hairbrain schemes and they were really well received well done uh, versions of Shadowrun that kept with all of the old Shadowrun stuff and kept the re, the feel of Shadowrun while still being a solid, fun playing, uh, video game. And that seems to be what they're doing with Battletech. Hmm. Okay. Well, I haven't played those, sha-
1: those Shadowrun games. I've played one, but not, not one of theirs. Yeah. Good. I'm glad it sounds like that one's working out.
0: Oh, I'm hopeful. It might end up crashing and burning because everything does at some. T- it seems like, but no, I'm. I'm. I've got real high hopes for this. And again, this is one of those things. BattleTech is one of those franchises that is super important to me and super. It was a big deal when I was younger. I mean, BattleTech was my first miniatures game I ever played. BattleTech was. Not my first RPG, but probably my first one I really got into. I mean, I, I played some D and D before I ever played Battletech, but Battletech was my first big RPG. And now I'm back into D and D, but it's one of those things that it's just, it, it, it hits all those points. And it's, it, for me, it's a combination of the, the solid nostalgia with, uh, something that is still fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I get that. I uh, Well, let's see. I've only really been working on one game. I, I did finish the the main story of uh, Wardor, so I finally got a chance to start Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, because uh, I decided I didn't want to start another sandbox quite yet. And unfortunately, I haven't played it over the last few days, but I am decently along in the game. So... In terms of mechanics, it plays very much like the original Wolfenstein reboot. Uh, the story is even more crazy, though. Uh, they just were, you know, it's always really weird because there's that mechs and stuff. It's sort of this steam, well, not steampunk, but, you know, it's like that like, taking that 30s, 40s tech and just sort of. But adding some weird magic style stuff to, and there's so, there are some <laughs> things that are borderline magic, it's like techno mage style things going on. And That was in the first Wolfenstein. That's back. That's all back. Your uh, crew of uh, allies from the first game. There are some in this one, but it, it seems to focus a bit more on introducing new characters. But they just kind of like cranked the the camp up to eleven in a lot of ways. But it, it's sort of weird I still think it works it works but it's a little more pushing the envelope in a lot of ways there are some very visceral scenes especially early on that are you know probably will be difficult for some people to to kind of uh deal with if they're not if they're not you know familiar with games that go kind of that brutal uh there are it's it's very in your face about some of the um you know, in terms of what its metaphors are, we can't really say they're metaphors. <laughs> it's more like, "Hey, look, we'll just have uh, the Nazis controlling Texas, and now the Klan can walk down the street with them," sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, it's in your face. Is in your face about it. Uh, but I mean, it deals with all themes from from that and supremacy to child abuse. There's a lot of stuff in that that they've packed in. Uh, mechanically, it feels great to play. Uh, it's that blend of stealth shooter where if you want to be sneaky and go around and try and take out commanders so they can't sound alarms, you've got that option. If you want to go in with a, with heavy weaponry, you can do that. If you want to be dual wielding and acting like your Sylvester Stallone in First Blood Part Two, you can do that. It, you know, it's it gives you all that same choice that you had in the in the first game, and I think. Much like that one, there is still a very big emphasis on narrative. There's a lot of elements where your character talks to himself kind of keeping that, that tone that it wants which is a fairly dark, serious tone in those regards. And you see the cutscenes which are wacky, but they're still being addressed by the characters pretty seriously. Uh, it's It's been a lot of fun. So I'd say if you liked the that original uh, the I call it the original reboot of the Wolfenstein franchise uh, this one I can't I can't imagine you not liking it. The only risk would be for people that would find it maybe a little some of the some of the topics might make them a little uncomfortable, but uh you know that that is what it is. So you just have to you have to accept that it's going to deal with some of those themes and some people just don't like to deal with them. I don't know how much the crossover is of people that don't like that but like to play violent shooters, but hey, FYI if you care. But as a game itself, very very good. I wouldn't be surprised if it wins a few awards
0: good i really enjoyed the first one
1: yeah first one's first one's good and then they did a little like arcade level uh prequel it's that one's almost devoid of story mechanics are great but it serves as a prequel to the to the first reboot game it's worth playing but don't expect the same narrative experience you get from this or the or the first one
0: yeah, I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna grab it like it's like war or it's one of those things that i'm gonna eventually end up with it just hasn't happened yet yeah it was a gift so it was on my pile
1: um okay that's uh that's all i have yeah i think that uh, wow. covers this for this episode that's right so for reminders to people you can reach out to us at com, or on facebook at collectors gamer at facebook.com Gamers podcast
0: We're on Twitter and Instagram as Eclectic underscore gamers. Twitter is, yeah, I just can't do Twitter. I'm getting better at Instagram when I'm actually out doing pinball stuff and things that might interest overall. I've been starting to do some more stuff on the Instagrams. Uh, But I've just never been able to get into Twitter. I don't think I can pull myself down to the small character Mm. uh, requirements.
1: I think they're making more changes to that. But uh, looking at the calendar, actually, I don't know if we'll do the year-end review next episode. Because next episode, we'd normally record on the 17th. And then, in theory, the 31st would be the episode that we'd then do. So we have to kind of decide how to handle that. Because that's New Year's Eve. It's early enough. I won't have a problem doing a record. So... Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't I'm really do be a lot doing of anything. Either. Let's be. I'm too old. Let's be honest.
0: But well, I'm, I'm, I've got. I've got the phone again at work. I'm not going to be exactly uh, doing anything uh, fancy. Mm. So
1: we'll probably have different topics in the next episode, then, because we won't have to do the wrap up at that point. But until then, I'm Dennis, and I'm Tony. Goodbye, everybody.